Ready graphics. Ready theme. From a psychological point of view, from the first run of the series, uh, there's the shadow side. So the shadow side of the personality is the side that we kind of hide from people. So we have the the ego side, which is what we show to people on the shadow side. And I think the interesting thing about Murphy Brown was that she showed her shadow side, which is as women at the time, we were told to kind of stuff down. Hi, everyone. It's co-host Lauren Milberger. I'm just popping in to let you know that I conducted this interview with Stephanie and Jennifer all the way back in summer of 2019. Like our interview with Norm that Jesse and I conducted, we held on to the episode for obvious reasons, but we are so happy to finally bring it to you. Enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Milberger, and welcome to FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. And today we have a special interview episode with special guests. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Sarkis. I'm a psychotherapist based in Tampa, Florida, and I specialize in anxiety, gaslighting, ADHD, and I've written seven books, including Gaslighting, Recognizing Manipulative and Emotionally Abusive People and Break Free. Yeah, I particularly doing research on you and the wonderful stuff that you sent us is you have an article for Forbes called Learn from Nancy Pelosi, How to Handle a Gaslighter in Your Workplace. Yes, and there's a follow-up too. So you had the right title for the follow-up. Uh, so yeah, that that one's gotten the most hits out of any of the Forbes articles. Uh, it talks about. Um, I think we all know we all know who the gaslighter is in the equation, uh, but it talks a lot about manipulation and how that's used on a global stage now. Uh, manipulation's always been there, but particularly now, there's a lot of of you didn't see anything, you didn't hear anything, and a lot of weak ego issues. So uh, so that article deals with that. And then the 11 warning signs of gaslighting um, is on Psychology Day, and that's also when viral. It's really good, yeah. So people are really recognizing that kind of emotional abuse. And I'll put the links to those in our show notes for everybody. And uh, our second mystery guest, will you please sign in? <laughs> Hi, I'm Jennifer Novak. Um, I own a company called Next Rise Marketing. Um, basically, I have worked in a number of different industries. I've been a social worker. I have worked in human resources and recruiting. Uh, and now I have moved into marketing. And the, the common denominator there was basically human behaviors, learning, technology. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and an MBA. And I basically right now I do uh, social media, AdWords, uh, email marketing, and build and manage websites. And she did my website, which is stephaniesarkis.com. Oh, look at that. Nice little... And we met uh, at NASA. <laughs> so, yes, we met through NASA. <laughs> through NASA? Really? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, fascinating. We were, um, there's a group on NASA Social where uh, you can apply to attend different... As long as you have a certain number of media followers, you can apply to attend a launch. And we were both at a launch that that's where we met. So... Uh, we got to stand about what a mile and a half away from the launch, I think. It was so. fairly close. Yeah, yeah. it was, um, it was a pretty amazing experience. Um, yeah, and we got a kind of behind the scenes tour of um, of NASA facility. Um, we got to see a lot of secretive things, not too secretive, but secretive enough. Yeah, I could do a whole <laughs> podcast on that. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, that so, if if, cool. if our audience hasn't perhaps connected, how you two are connected to be here today. This was actually your idea about a year ago. We're just getting to this. <laughs> you guys emailed us saying that you would love to come on the show and sort of talk about the psychological aspects of the characters, which sounded fascinating. Also, I know we have some other subjects that we want to talk about, including um, our collective love of the show. But why don't we start out with this? So, oh, I think Murphy is the best person to start out with because obviously she, she is the lead of the show. So why don't we start with Stephanie? Stephanie, how would you break down Murphy Brown psychologically? Well, uh, Jen and I were talking about earlier about how this was the first female character that was sort of unlikable. She had likable characteristics, but also she she had some behaviors that kind of rub people the wrong way. The viewers, um, even if we liked her, there was that flip side of it. So it, from a psychological point of view, uh, from the from the first run of the series, uh, there's the shadow side. So the shadow side of the personality is the side that we kind of hide from people. So we have the the ego side, which is what we show to people on the shadow side. And I think the interesting thing about Murphy Brown was that she showed her shadow side, which is as women at the time, we were told to kind of stuff down. And in TV shows, usually the female lead still had a softness to them. There's some placating going on. And so this is the first time that we saw a female character that that really at some points we disagreed with what she was doing. Still loved her, but 
she was allowed to have that kind of um, un, unsocially acceptable piece to her. And I think also the fact that she was a recovering addict, too. Yeah. I think we hadn't seen that in women uh, as a lead character before. So I think that was powerful as well. Jennifer? So, so I, and I think that's one of the things that, that we're taught, especially that, like, generation, because we were all, like, raised by the boomers, and, and that's how we were told to get along in the, in the, in the workforce is just basically just to get along, be there, be nice, play well with others, don't argue, um, and to have that strong personality who's willing to speak up and, no, I'm not okay with this, this is what I want, and, and to say, you know, out loud, no, this, these are the things that I, that I want, this is who I am. Um, I think that was powerful. Um, I, I kind of liked the fact that she was unlikable. At first, she does kind of rub you like, wait, this is different. Um, who is this person? Why is she like this? Um, but it kind of grows on you and you start to see the, kind of the, the softer side, but you also see why she is the way that she is mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, how it, it works for her and how she makes it work for her and how she gets what she wants because of who she is. And, and also that her love interests were kind of a background character. Yes, that's that's a re really interesting observation, because usually it would be a major focal point of a woman, particularly at that time, is her boyfriend. And, right. and they're sort of just secondary characters. They're, right. they're guest stars in her life, so to speak. Right. And, and I, I immediately think of the Marlo Thomas, that girl. Yes. Where the boyfriends were a main character and she... She was likable, but uh, and she had some assertiveness, but also you didn't see that kind of rough side. And but that still for the time was pretty groundbreaking. So when this came along, when, when Jen and I were both teenagers, uh, again, this is something that, oh, wow, she's a woman in the workplace that's kind of telling people exactly what she means. Instead of like Jen said, you know, we were taught that you kind of have to lay low and not make much of a scene because it's so hard for women to get into the workplace anyway um, in a lot of fields. Uh, particularly with television. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you saw her, again, be pretty abrupt with people, it was really refreshing. And I think, too, with women, a lot of times when they are the lead character, that underlying theme there is some sort of romance or it's a romantic comedy. And that's, that's you know exactly, like romantic comedies, you know exactly what's going to happen from the start of the movie. Um, but by, it, by her romantic interest, like subtly being in the background, it kind of brings to light, like we actually get to know who she is, not how her romantic life is developing because that's not the main story. Um, and to me, that was interesting just to see because you, you see just a different aspect of her life. Right, it was about work. It wasn't about, yes. yeah, like how- There's she... more to life than her romance. There's more to life than mm -hmm. her relationship with a man. Yeah, right. in fact, if you look at the significant relationships of her with men in the show, it always comes down to work in some way. Yes. She's in a yeah. relationship with someone who has, is it, has the same interest in work and ambition, let's say, as she does. Whereas, right. you know, in fact, when Murphy tells Jake that she's pregnant, she, she says, oh, well, this journalist did it. Mm -hmm. And Jake says, but he was a man. You know, mm -hmm. that he had a wife. There was a difference. Whereas right. you have successful men being able to be in a relationship with a woman who has to sacrifice her career for her husband, mm -hmm. men are not used to doing it for women. So it, they come mm -hmm. up against each other. Right. It's, well, I want this right. and I want this. Okay, well, traditionally what's supposed to happen is you say, my stuff is more important, whether it subconsciously the man knows that, and then we move on together. But it seems like they always bug heads on, well, no, I need to be myself and do this, and you need to be yourself and do this, and we can't do it together. Right. right. And at the time when the series started, that was usually the norm. Mm -hmm. And it had been that way for a long time, that, that the women give up, gives up their career for the man. And so, again, this is a thing of I'm going to do this, and you know I'm on my own, and this is fine. And that's where all the, the brouhaha with, with um, Dan Quayle came in, was that this was... Uh, it, you had a lot of single mom families out there, but you hadn't really seen it portrayed as much on television. So that was another refreshing thing is that she was raising her kid on her own and, and did pretty well. I mean, she had issues from time to time as parents do anyway, but overall it was a real positive portrayal of you can do this on your own. You can have a career and be a mom. And yeah, you, it balances and it helps to have a painter around that helps you out. You know? <laughs> but, but overall, uh, 
you can do this. And I think that was a really powerful message, especially for, for Generation X, which is our generation. Yeah. Um, and, and especially, I think, for baby boomers, too. I think I mentioned, Lauren, we were talking earlier, was that I watched this with my mom. And my mom and grandmother always told me that you can do whatever you want. You can do any job a man can do. Uh, and so I think watching that together, here's Candace Bergen, who my mom just loved from watching her grow up at the same age as my mom. And then we could watch this together. And I think that was something really amazing that she saw from the time she was young up until when we watched the show, how much the role of women being portrayed in the media had changed. I think that was really neat, especially when it was someone that she felt a, t a kind of connection to because of their similar age. Yeah. And so let's say that Murphy came into your office or was a client. Mm -hmm. Where would you start with her? First, I don't think she'd come into my office. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. She would not. <laughs> we, we know how she feels about therapy. But let's just right. say that she lost a bet. <laughs> Yeah, okay, let's say she lost a bet with Frank. Yeah, or, and or Avery made her do it. You know, who right. knows? <laughs> I think it would be interesting to see the, I'm guessing that from the, what I've seen in the show, there would be that kind of rough exterior and the vulnerability would probably, you know, like a soft marshmallow inside. And it would probably take a while to build up rapport to the point where, uh, where that sensitive part came out. And I think that's why with the new series, when she's talking to Avery and, and talks about a professor um, and about how um, he had been harassing her, but she didn't identify it as such, there was a part of me that went, huh, this doesn't sound like it's part of the character that I knew before. But now that I think about it, you know, we all have that, that exterior side. Um, and then we have that interior piece of it and she's with her kids. So then maybe the walls came down a little bit, but in therapy, um, it would take a while to build up rapport and, and, um, just knowing the background too, and dealing with being, uh, an addict in recovery. I mean, that's, that's a daily struggle for people that are, that are in recovery. So that's another piece of it too. Um, so I think it would take a while to build up rapport and to get to what was going on. And if she had a bet, then that would be kind of interesting to talk about too. <laughs> well, since we, obviously we know a lot about Murphy because we are the observer as opposed to, you know, her actually being a real person in life. So, so looking at her, how would you break down her issues and, and how she needs to work on them or not work on them? Well, from the outside view, and again, I, I wouldn't do this with a client just because I would need to get to know them personally. Sure. But from what I've seen on the show, uh, it appears that you know, she is very driven by her work. Uh, her self-care probably needs some work, and that's a particularly important point in, if she's doing a 12-step program, uh, that you do practice good self-care. So that's a key part of it. So I'd want to make sure that that was going on. Uh, I'd also look at how much stress is inherent in her job and how much is self-created. Oh, good because point. Yeah, because some people need that level of stress or intensity to get moving. And, and like when um, the, uh, in the newer series, when she's sitting with with everybody at the table, including her kid, and they talk about, oh, well, in the good old days, you know, we were held hostage in a van and drove somewhere. And, you know, reporters today just don't know. You know, sometimes people need that kind of level of intensity. And I think particularly in the, the um, you know, journalism telecommunications field, because um, that's my undergrad degrees in telecom production, um, that you can have some high intensity personalities that need to have that kind of movement. And I'd wonder uh, how much of that plays into how she interacts with people. Does she necessarily create drama where it need not be uh, because she needs that to move forward, if that makes sense? Yeah. So some people need to be kind of a pressure cooker to perform well. Jennifer, what are your thoughts? I think she definitely would, um, you know, put a lot of pressure on herself to succeed. I mean, if you think about the things that she's, she's been through with the alcoholism, she, she stopped smoking. Um, and that, that's one of the things we see like at the, at the beginning of the, um, the series, um, the pressure, amount of pressure that she would have to put on herself. And then also that, you know, one of the things that was kind of, uh, you know, implied in the, in the beginning is that the cast of their television show was aging. If you look at Murphy, if you look at Jim, if you look at Frank, um, they're older at that time. It was they were in their forties, mm -hmm. um, and they, they bring in Corky, who's, who's yeah. younger. Um, if you look at that that age difference, and you look at you know who's on TV, who's in broadcast, um, that pressure I think would be a lot to deal with. Right, and and also you know with Frank's the whole thing about Frank's toupee that you have <laughs> to look younger, you have to yes. appear yeah. uh, different than what you are, and that kind of pressure that you put on yourself. 
Yeah, so it definitely became a, a running gag. And mm-hmm. and with Corky, too, like the way that they treated her, um, you know, there was definitely some tension there. Right, and her character development was very interesting, too, with Corky, too, going from the stereotypical, you know, young kind of... Um, I don't I don't like the term space cadet, but that's kind of how she was portrayed. Uh, and then turning into, you know, after her marriage ended and then later on when she got remarried, that you could see the kind of change from she got kind of hardened, I think. And and in a way, you know, there's a positive piece to that, but also you know, people go through stuff. And mm-hmm. and so she was kind of picking up some Murphyism towards the yeah. end yeah. Uh, of the first run. Which but I think she's the, the traditional, like that's the juxtaposition of Mur- Murphy's character. And she's a juxtaposition because she comes and like, she's like the Southern belle. And that's the way that women in the South are raised to be. You're raised to be polite, you're way, you know, and, and she's, she's obviously an intelligent woman, but that space cadetness is, it's, it's almost a front for her. I mean, that, that's the yeah. way that she feels that she needs to be in order to have the job that she has. And mm-hmm. in order to get where she wants to go in her career, she feels that this is the, the image that she needs to have. Um, and it's something that's so ingrained in her that I don't even think she realizes that it's not her in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a defense mechanism. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and I yeah. think it's it's really with Corky, it, it's that she doesn't have the experience, and that's what makes her a mm-hmm. space cadet. She she went. She was a beauty queen. Right. That's how she got along. And just like you right. said, she was taught to act a certain way by how she was brought up and people treated her. She she was never pushed to have to know that Indira Gandhi has passed away or <laughs> all of the information that she just doesn't know. And I, and I think what's great about the arc with her is that she does become more like Murphy and she has the biggest arc in the entire series is that it's not that she necessarily is dumb, is that she is a vessel to be filled with information because she just doesn't have the experience. And Murphy right. does. And and then there was also a part of it too that was there was a there was that, but then there was also another layer of I, I can't kind of let them know that I'm smart because then that kind of ruins my ability to be portrayed as a, someone that's eager to learn. And and that's that's an interesting thing too, that I think that that's the the book reviving Ophelia is about how girls when they reach middle school there's a real drop off in interest in, yeah. in hard science and math. And there's almost an idea of you have to kind of play dumb in order to get through socially uh, and with dating. And so I think that that kind of lent itself to that. And and so I don't know if we see that. We see that now with television shows, but I don't think it's the same portrayal. With Corky, it was almost a little over the top. But I understand because it's, it's a dramedy show. Uh, but I think that that's kind of changed too, that idea that, that if you're younger, that you that you can be inexperienced, but you also have this kind of naivete, mm-hmm. and it was a little overplayed. But I think now um, there's more subtlety to it. But I understand back then too. That was a that was a thing. That was around the time of designing women, and you know we had all sorts of shows that had mm-hmm. characters that uh, were portrayed as kind of not so bright. And yeah, not as worldly. But then we find out later on that they have this character arc. So I just thought it was interesting that that it, it was a little overplayed, but I also see where it was coming from, that that naivete piece. Yeah, she didn't have the internet. She didn't have all these things to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, show her more of the world and not keep her. She was cloistered, really, into her own little world in the South and being a beauty queen. And Murphy and being on FYI really opens that up for her in a surprising right. way. I never would have thought when I first watched the show, that Corky would have become the character that she did. Right. I mean, it's excellent writing, that whole arc mm-hmm. of her yeah. personality. Uh, definitely um, a lot of growth. I, yeah. That's one of the best written character thing on television as far as where she started and where she ended up. Yeah. So we sort of kind of backdoored our way into Corky. But I would love for <laughs> us to talk about Frank. Because of okay. all the characters on the show, Frank is the only one that we are aware of, because it is made fun of, is actually right. in therapy. Right. I think he was in therapy for like 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then tried to leave, and I think he had to, you know, go back. And he he is always been portrayed as a neurotic character, sort of that, which I think was a character type that you had a lot in '80s sitcoms, right? Sort of the neurotic guy has a bravado, obviously, because he is a news guy. All these people have some mm-hmm. sort of ego, or they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. Right. But deep down right. inside, is not the suave ladies' man that he maybe pretends to be, right. and obviously has some mother issues. <laughs> but but let's start with you, Stephanie, and then we'll go to Jennifer. Well, he's actually my favorite character. This is great. And Jen and I were talking about this too, that we have different kind of favorites, but he's the only one that really doesn't have a huge ego. 
if you think about it, I mean, there are different points where, yeah, he gets upset about stuff and he feels kind of disrespected and things, but overall, he's a pretty even guy, but yet he's portrayed as being neurotic. And I know you and I were talking about how this is one of the characters that's very open about being in therapy. Yeah. And you usually didn't see that as much on television, too. Yes. So I think even though it was done in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, um, I think it really opened up the fact that you can go to therapy and be a pretty decent person. Um, and I think that, you know, it was touched on other shows and certainly Frasier's all about, you know, psychiatry. But um, yeah, but we never but, see really his patients necessarily. Right. I mean, the callers right. call in. But as is uh, Niles right. calls it, you know, it's pop culture therapy. It's not real therapy because right. it's only it's very right. brief. Right. But yeah, it, we we rarely see the people that Niles and Frasier are actually treating. Right. Right. So it's a th it's a psychiatrist, but not psychiatry, yeah. psychiatry acting. <laughs> I, I do love but, the uh, fact that if the thesis of, of this episode that we're doing with the two of you is that Frank is the healthiest of everybody would really make me laugh. <laughs> I, mean, I really I mean, it's not to me. He's I the see healthiest. it. Yeah, please, please go on. Yeah. Yeah. He's so if you look at like in Freudian terms, you have the id, which is the the impulsive nature of the self, the one that needs to get everything right now and can't be told no. And then you have the superego, which is like the, the hall monitor. You must do things this way, very black and white thinking. And then you have the ego, which is somewhere in between. I would say Frank is probably the ego. I'd say Jim is probably the superego. And and the, the id, I'm not really sure the different characters take place for the id in different times. So that was kind of interchangeable. But I think definitely Frank is more the even in the middle between um, you know, rigid and extremely flexible he's kind of right there and yeah. i'm assuming that the 12 years of therapy helped him with that yeah i mean that's the thing right they everyone made fun of it but he was the one who was actually confronting his problems right exactly right and and that also shows the i would think the issues of well this guy's going to therapy and he's kind of got it together and so what does that mean about us mm. you know and and so i think he kind of was the he was a big balance for them uh and and also, you know, I think about um, you know, when when they were held hostage and at the the um, at the studio, and Frank was the only one coming up with a plan. I mean, he was he was like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna go under the desk," you know. <laughs> like the guy said, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I was gonna go under the desk, you know, climb out." And everybody else is terrified, but he actually was doing something. And I think that's kind of the healthy way to deal with a situation mm -hmm. like that is is he was able to take time to think about something. And so you wonder, so I was like, oh, I bet the therapy helped him with that. <laughs> well, there's something that I always thought was interesting as a big contrast with Frank is that mm -hmm. in his work, he takes huge risks. He jumps out yep. of planes. He does exactly what you said, you know, mm -hmm. almost tried to uh, tackle a gunman. Right, right, right. Went right. into a hostage situation. Mm -hmm. You know, he's this daredevil when it comes to his work, but not when, when it comes to his private life, he can be sort of a, a neurotic puddle sometimes because mm -hmm. uh, of his insecurities. So that's sort of an interesting contrast. And, and wh why do maybe both of you want to answer on this? Do you think? that he might be like that i would think it's probably just you know, with therapy if you've been in therapy for about 12 years you get in touch with the side of you that's the kind of id side that kind of i need instant stimulation like when he did his adventurous reporting mm -hmm. and then you get in touch with the super ego side which is the part that says that i should do this and not this and i'm going to worry about stuff and so i think that probably through therapy i would guess that he had worked out a way to balance that id and super ego and that way he was he was one of the more well-rounded characters for that reason because mm -hmm. he had these different facets to himself and and i think we all have that kind of part of us that is the inner hall monitor and then the uh, insatiable must have this now character. And I think that, I think one of the reasons that people maybe identify with Frank is that they identify those two different sides that you can have, you know, in your, in your work life, it all together in high pressure than, than, uh, personally, it's hard to translate that into making healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think also the character, the fact that they, that Murphy uh, and Frank were in a platonic relationship and he was the only one that could call her Murph. Uh, also spoke to the fact that he was able to maintain a platonic relationship with her. Uh, and I think that is also something we didn't see as much. In no, yeah. TV shows up until that time. Yeah, we talk about that a lot on the show, that that, that was very influential for us, and we don't mm -hmm. see it a lot, and we're really starving right. for it, that there's always a will they, won't they, even if they are friends, and then eventually right. the clamor happens and they 
they get into a relationship, but that ha- never happened with Murphy and Frank. Always platonic. Right. But right. I think that was because of Murphy, though. I, I don't think that would have worked, like, because of her. Because we did see him, like, flirting a little bit with her, um, which does happen in, you know, in, in male-female relationships. Um, but I think that more of that was because of her, because I, that's the way that I saw him was just, like, his risk-taking was, like, this womanizing daredevil kind of a guy but then you also like you you mentioned that insecurity there and but to me like him like his personality was that insecure and i felt like he was just always overcompensating for that mm, maybe and yeah I, he was not one of my favorite characters because of that um and i'm a little concerned that you guys think he's the healthiest and he's one of my <laughs> least favorite so i'm not sure what that says about me but <laughs> I'm not saying that I agree. I'm saying I think it would be hilarious if at the end of this, that's our thesis. <laughs> <laughs> because it was just I, that, that dichotomy of his personality. I, I just always felt like his, like when he was showing those insecure moments, um, like probably other than Miles, he was probably the most other, most insecure person. But to me, that was him. And this daredevil side was just yeah. like this thing that came through him just to overcompensate so who's your favorite character jennifer honestly i mean it it would be murphy but i think of the other characters probably quirky just because of where i grew up i grew up in the south (laughs) um and to see like i mean that's the way that i was pushed to be was this placating like Mm. uh, um just be nice and that's you know, I mean, I have my nice moments, but, you know, I think it's important to speak up when you feel the need to speak up when you see an injustice. You know, I think that that's important. And I think Murphy kind of gave us that, like, it's okay to, to do that. It's okay to disagree with men. It's okay to disagree with someone who is different than you, not like you, has power over you, um, hasn't always served me well. But, um, you know, that that's something that I feel is important. Yeah, I agree. And that's something that we hear from so many people who grew up at a very formative time in their life, like we did, like you guys did, to see a woman act that way. It was really empowering to see because you go, oh, okay, I can do that too. Right. Yes. So why don't we talk about Miles since we are talking about neurotic characters. (laughs) Miles, as far as you know, was not in therapy, although he did go to a bunch of therapists once when he thought he was gay, but that was really one time only and he was looking for one particular answer. So I think he went to like five or six people. So we're not going to count that. That was was wrong. But if Miles walked into your office... How would you, uh, once, you know, you broke down, you got to know him. Although I feel like with Miles, he he would th- throw down that wall pretty quickly. He's an emotional guy. I feel like he wants <laughs> to open up to people. He pretends to put on sort of, you know, burrado. Anyway, uh, Stephanie, why don't you go first? My guess would be that he would probably talk a lot of his relationship with his parents. Yes. And we'd probably start there. Uh, there's a, there was a people-pleasing part to him, but then he also had moments of, of genuine, um, I'm done with this. <laughs> so, so it was an interesting dichotomy. And, and also it, he, he was not one of my favorite characters because I, I, my personal feeling would be that I would think he, he probably actually be a, a tough person to maybe open up to therapy because there's that sensitive part, but how much would he want to change would be mm, my question. That's interesting. Yeah. That was the thing about the revival was he, he, I felt like Miles had definitely softened, but he was, he was still uh, the same personality and and pushing himself really hard that you might be concerned for his health. Right. Well, and especially he was eating Tums all the time. I remember that (laughs) part of the show. Well, something that we've talked about on the show before, actually we talked about it with Barnett, a major director of the first four seasons, that once you find out about Miles' family, it makes a lot of sense, particularly because we know his Mm -hmm. brother, that it seems like the two of them were probably left to their own defenses a lot and having to be adults very early and being worried Mm -hmm. about his parents going out all the time and maybe not coming back. You know, mm-hmm. I think added to his personality, which we see, which is someone who gets easily upset and anxious about things. And you could see a little Miles being anxious because his parents aren't home when they're supposed to be and maybe they're dead. Right, right. And and that parentification uh, can turn into some some high level anxiety later in life. And sometimes when people have been parentified, they'll come into therapy and they're ready to talk and others will have kind of a guard. And part of that is protecting the parents. Because 
sometimes when people are parentified, they they became the parent. So they're almost it's almost like defending their child. Mm-hmm. So when someone's in therapy, they may not even want to talk about stuff that happened in their childhood. And they may not realize they're parentified, but that's what I've noticed is that when you have been parentified, there's a very cautious circle around, we're not really going to get into that. And I don't want to talk about possibly that my parents had some weaknesses. Mm. And so that's what I probably see in therapy that we might not even talk about that. There probably would be some talking around it, but not directly talking about it. Jennifer? Well, and I think I can't imagine being put in his position, though. If you think about, he was much younger than this cast with, that includes Murphy Brown, who is, you know, is very outspoken. She's going to call him on everything. You've got Jim Dial, who's this very seasoned um, senior anchor. You've got um, Frank, you know, who's, who is very seasoned as well. Um, so can, I just can't imagine being put in that position and not being anxious um, because I certainly would be. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure there. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I think the, you know, the, um, the owners of the, news organization had kind of built him up to, oh, he's this young wonderkin, like he's really going to go and do things. But then he's got this cast of characters to deal with on a daily, daily situation. And and that's also a role that you would see a parentified person in, a role where you are in a leadership role, particularly of people that are older than you, hmm. because yeah. that's what you're used to. So that that role kind of fit what his upbringing was probably like. And so to be leading people who are very traditional and that traditional workforce, who you're reporting to and who is leading you is often, like you said, like older than you. So to have this young kid come in there and try to tell you what to do and try to tell you how to run things and try to tell you what's best when you know that you have more experience than this person, um, you know, that relationship is going to be difficult. So, Jim, we have briefly talked about Jim. Why don't we go a little bit into his profile? So that that's the superego. So Freudian, that's the person that has right and wrong. We don't do things like this. We do things like this. Um, and then when he realizes that he's kind of going off the rails a little bit, he quickly pulls himself together. <laughs> so uh, he's got a, a real kind of monitoring of what he's doing. So mm-hmm. that would be interesting in therapy to talk about times where he felt like he was freer to just kind of be a little more spontaneous and when he felt comfortable with that. Um, and he was kind of the old guard, you know, that we do things this way and you behave a certain way. Yeah, I'd wonder when he when he kind of let 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 loose and what that was like. Was that anxiety provoking when he went against his rules and did it turn out OK for him? Because when I work with people and, and they tend to have uh, I must do this and not this uh, personality, it's very stressful for them. And so we mm. talk about what if you did something spontaneous, what would that be like for you? And when was the last time you did something spontaneous? And we talk about how that actually turned out pretty well for them. And then they're more likely to do spontaneous things. And we also talk about calculated risks, that you can do stuff that's spontaneous, but you can also do it in a way that's thought out too, which is, which is good. You don't wanna go the other way and do something that's completely spontaneous and off the wall and dangerous. Uh, so we talk about calculated risk. So if Jim was in therapy, I'd say, you know, tell me where this comes from. And, and I would also respect where he's coming from, which is this is the way things were. And this is how he had always worked. So and I'm assuming that he was like this as a child, too. So uh, <laughs> that tells me a little bit more about there's something underneath that what stops you from having spontaneity mm. and what's what's that about? So I'd probably hone in on that. Jennifer, I, I think he kind of. I, I, and I am curious about that because I, I would be curious to know more about why he didn't. But I think if you look at like his his age on the show um, and who we had and who he looked up to as news anchors, mm-hmm. that was his personality. I mean, his character was the most, uh, I don't say flat, but I guess it, it was. I mean, he was the very traditional news anchor. I mean, we had Dan Rather, Peter Jennings, like we had, and, but you didn't Walter see Cartwright. a lot. Yes, you didn't mm-hmm. see their personality. It was just this is the news. Here it is. I'm here to report it. And that's kind of how he was. It was just a stalwart, like very even keeled personality. Um, and you never really, like he never really broke character, I guess, mm-hmm. in within his character. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, I, I liked him, but he had this very like fatherly presence. Like, like right. you just kind of, like if you were just around him, you just knew it, like everything's going to be okay. 
<laughs> you know, it's right. yeah. He's, he he was definitely a man of his generation, and I yeah. think if you also look at who Doris was, who had a little bit more, I don't want to say a warmness to her because Jim could be warm, but mm-hmm. a little bit more spontaneity, perhaps, of things. Mm-hmm. But the two of them still felt very much like two halves of the same whole of a certain mm-hmm. generation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And right. I mean, you can tell, like their marriages, I mean, it was very stable. Like, it, I mean, it was just one of those things where you just kind of grow together. Um, I mean, it's like they're like the old oak trees, kind of, a, mm. you know, they're, they're not going anywhere. The hurricanes aren't going to bother them. They're just going to be there. <laughs> That's a great metaphor. Yeah, he was yeah. kind of the oak tree of the whole staff. Yeah. Uh, you knew that he wasn't going to do anything kind of wacky. Yes. That he was your stability. And, and, uh, like when they were talking about, you know, Walter Cronkite, when he went to Vietnam and came back and said, we're, we're mm-hmm. not doing well over there, we're losing. Uh, that was, I mean, that would be the equivalent of Jim saying something like that, that everybody listened to Walter Cronkite because he was everybody's kind of uncle. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and I remember him being on TV and he was just kind of this presence that you didn't question. That was your stability. So if you had kind of a crazy day, you know, at least Walter Cronkite was telling you the truth and that he had integrity and so, yeah, Jim really reflects that. And and so the the whole issue of in the 80s, we started having an infotainment kind of thing oh, where news yeah. entertainment were blending. So I think, yeah, he was a really good representation of where things were. And then Corky was on the other end of, um, and it kind of related to Deborah Norville and Inside, was it in Deborah Norville on Today? And then she was on Inside Edition. So Deborah Norville, Jane Pauley left, I think, and Deborah Norville took over. Um, and she was much younger. And I think that's kind of the, the parallel character with Corky. And there was a lot of issues that people had with that, that, that here is this person that was stable that we knew. And all of a sudden you have this younger person. There was a lot of backlash. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we saw that, that spectrum from Jim through Corky and, and that change that was actually happening in news at the time. Yeah. And Deborah Norville was brought on while Jane Polly was still on the Today Show. That's so right. much like with, I don't know the timeline. I think this might've been after Murphy Brown started, but still this idea that this person is brand new and they're coming for you because the network was very high in Deborah Norville. They wanted her to probably to take over. Mm-hmm. Other issues brought Jane Polly to leave which we've right, actually we've right. talked about on the show right. um, with the memo and so forth and tensions mm-hmm. with her co-hosts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, how, how does that feel, right, to have someone younger that the network is really hot on to be like, well, sorry, you now have aged out of your part, which happens a lot more now than I think it even did back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and, and the show does touch on that too. Yeah, that was the, definitely that that Murphy felt that kind of, you know, she felt threatened, but at the same time, not at all, which is an interesting dichotomy. Yeah, mm-hmm. you saw that with, with Corky and, and Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was that, that, okay, well, she's brought on to replace me. She's a younger, newer version, mm-hmm. but there was also this eye rolling, like, oh, she can never do what I do. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Like who is uh, this? Yeah. Yeah. That was something beautiful about the relationship is that it, it took some time, but they eventually sort of came together in the middle and respected each other, which is really right. quite lovely. You know, you can have right. different kinds of women in, in the workforce. And I think that's an important part that you mentioned, too, because, you know, a lot of times, especially I think when in the 80s, there were a lot of, you know, that's when women were really starting to be in the corporate world. And there's this kind of idea that we had that there were only so many spots for women. Mm -hmm. And so women would, instead of supporting each other, I think there's a tendency to to be competitive. Yeah. Because, again, there are only so many spaces for us. So I, I think that kind of showed pretty beautifully on the show how you can go from that kind of, I would say kind of an institutionalized uh, competitiveness because of the structure of business into getting along and supporting each other. So I think that again, mimicked kind of what was happening in business at the time too. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any favorite guest characters that really there's psychological breakdown or their actions really fascinated you from uh, your uh, studies point of view? Oh. Bet Midler, that, that just, <laughs> but she was, I forget how many, how many minutes she was actually on, but yeah, not wow, that many. Talk she, about knowing how to work a scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And watching her in the, um, I got to be at all the tapings of the revival. And so watching her work, you can really see how she knows. 
I, I've talked about this on the show before that she would do a scene and halfway through it, it was like, this is great. She's wonderful. And she would stop herself and go, I can't, I got to start over. And you're like, huh? Okay. But then she would do it and come at it from a different way. And you go, oh, well, yeah. Okay. She knows her instrument so well that she knew it wasn't working and that she could do better. And she would just stop it and just start over. And you go, oh, okay. I get it. You're not wasting any time. Yeah. It's interesting. You see how comedy is, is a lot of it's well thought out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, doing comedies, I would think much harder to do than drama. It is. And it's much uh, harder. You know, there's this horrible t- term, you know, the redheaded stepchild, so to speak. I mean, it's a very old term, but that's really what it is, is that it's the hardest thing to do, but because it looks easy, it doesn't get the respect that it deserves. Right. Right. Especially when you see Bette Midler do it, it's like watching ballet. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's flawless. Um, so I think that's the guest character that stood out to me the most. Um, is that she did, she could just take a scene and some of the lines she had were a little bit cheesy, but she was able to deliver them and, and hit a home run every time. Yeah. And I think that's a real testament to, to her character I mean, as a person that she's able to, she's been honing her instrument of comedy for that long that she's able to take some of those lines that otherwise, if you and I said them would sound a little odd, mm-hmm. <laughs> she could take them and integrate them into the character so well. So Jennifer. You know, I, I'm trying to think of one specific character, and I, I can't so much think of one specific character as I much as I think of the receptionist that Murphy went through. Oh yeah, um, that to me was just one of the like hilarious, like recurring gags on this show, and just like how she treated them, how like just how you know their personalities were always like completely off the wall, um, and just her interactions with them. Yeah, and I also spoke to too. The fact that, you know, as women, again, in the workforce, we were told that, you know, first, you didn't really have a lot of administrative assistants or secretaries, you know, back then when you were a woman in the workforce, um, you're more likely to be the secretary administrative assistant. And then to have a woman in power that couldn't stand the receptionist, getting rid of them so much. I think she went through 96 of them in the entire show, yeah, 93 or 96. And for her to be able to just, you know, say, you know, this is insane and bye. (laughs) Yes. That was, that was really groundbreaking for a woman to, to say, I'm not putting up with this and I don't want these people or, you know, there's, there's a running gag to it, but then the underlying thing was that she had power to decide who she wanted to have as her secretary. Now some of them quit on their own accord, but, um, but the fact she didn't mute her personality with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I just, I like that they had a lot of them as, you know, a lot of them were celebrities that you, you immediately recognized um, and just kind of how that, that played out. Right, right. The, the amount of cameos was amazing on that show. Yes. That's yeah. one of the things that I really appreciated about the show is that it, they did keep it, you know, to current and real life um, mm-hmm. stories and, and news. Mm-hmm. So it made it feel real. And, and I think it's actually one of the issues with the show, too, is that because they were talking about current daily events, I, I think for for younger people, it may be difficult to watch it because there's a lot of references to pop culture, there's a lot of references yes. to what was going on politically. Yeah. And so I think that's, for the earlier part of the series, I think that may be an issue uh, for people connecting to it. Because I, I was yes. telling a, a millennial, I was like, you got to watch the show, it's great. Um, this is something that's in their their 20s. And they watched it and they're like, I don't, I don't get some of the stuff they were talking about. <laughs> right. like, oh no. <laughs> Did they, they start from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was really interesting that kind of, and that not understanding that, well, to her watching that strong character, Murphy Brown was not really a thing. Yeah. That's true. Right. Yeah. It so you was take kind things of for granted. For us, yeah. Where now it's not so much. Right. Well, you should tell them right. to listen to our podcast because we break down all those references. <laughs> I did, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so I just thought that was really interesting, but that's yeah, also that's too bad. We're we're now Murphy's age and Corky are millennials' age, so we're now. It's kind of interesting to think about that right? now. We're the that Murphy was, and again, like Jen was saying, you know, we were taught that these are the older characters, so that kind of that kind of made me feel like have this little existential crisis of oh, I'm the older older person yeah. now. 
Well, and I remember watching it as a teenager and like, okay, well, they're like 40s and 50s and that just is so old. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like there are laws preventing discrimination based on my age now. Like it's, it's a little right. intimidating. I, th- I think particularly today because the generations are so sort of pitted against each other in the media. Oh. You know, I mean, I, I remember the term Generation X being thrown around and obviously baby boomers, but it really wasn't such a, you know, a, a fight or a, a pitting against each other. Now it's, you know, millennials and baby boomers and then Gen X gets lost in the middle, which, you know, is such a Gen X thing anyway. Yes. So, you know, used to it. But nowadays, because of that, I feel like and also because we are older looking at the show, you see that gap between right. Murphy and Corky or Murphy yes. and Miles. And it's actually not that big. Right. Yeah. And, and we it, know that that gap has always kind of been there. But it you still know, kind of feels that way. Yeah. I mean, if and, you look at like an early 20 something coming into the workforce. And, and But I think, you know, it, it, with generations, everybody kind of gives these generations labels and everyone, like every new generation is, oh my gosh, they're so entitled. They're so this, they're so mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But if you look at the actual descriptors, they're not that different. Like the labels that we got um, ascribed as Gen X, a lot of them were, they were just kind of rebranded and thrown onto millennials. And now they're being rebranded and thrown onto Gen X. Well, 20 somethings are always going to feel like they know everything. Like I, that's what I loved about my twenties. I knew everything. Nobody could tell me (laughs) anything. It was amazing. And now I feel like, oh, I question everything. What have I learned? It's always, it's right. always going to be, I could have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those darn kids. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And I was reading something that it was something that Socrates wrote. I didn't think I'd bring up Socrates and Murphy Brown. Show, but I am. <laughs> That's um, impressive. And he wrote about how the students weren't paying attention and they were throwing, you know, stuff in class and he's never seen like a younger generation. So terrible. And this was Socrates. Yes. So this wow. is not, stopped and there's probably some kind of biological evolutionary reason why older generations tend to view younger generations as entitled and and slackers because uh, i know that the gen x thing the slacker thing was a real label for us and now we see that apply yeah. to millennials i think it's a cutoff thing you know and that's something that mm-hmm. i really love uh, many things that i love and hate about the internet but the one some of the things that i do love is i feel like if if it wasn't for the internet i would not be as up to date about what other generations are going through whereas you know my parents are not online and they don't see any of it. And mm. sometimes I forget that when I have conversations and I actually had to remind oh. my mother the other day, I said, I'm not getting the news in the same way that you are getting the news. That's a good mm-hmm. point. Yeah. You know, the references that you're throwing at me that you claim that I'm behind, I'm actually not because mm-hmm. I can read five different sources on it as opposed to just coming from one news source mm-hmm. because, right. and she doesn't watch Fox news, but she still watches cable and, so much to the point of which I I can't even realize what she's going through because I don't know what references she's getting, what she isn't That's getting. Interesting. Uh-huh. Well, what's and- interesting is my dad actually is more into reading the news online than I am. Um, so that's interesting that he, he can be hipper. Like he was doing eBay before it was even a, like a thing. Yeah. My dad <laughs> loves eBay. Yeah. yeah. That's, the, th- that's yeah, the thing too. I think like- technology shows you that you can't judge an entire generation. I mean, you can't judge yeah. an entire generation, but I think it even more closely reminds you what people sometimes do is they blanket. Oh, all millennials are bad because 10, 12 kids ate Tide Pods. You know, that's not the, the example of any generation, but it gets focused on. Right. Because it, it gets clicks. Yeah. It well, gets that clicks. too. Yeah. It's and, over. I mean, yeah. It's oversimplified. I mean, the things that are oversimplified, they get clicks, they get attention. And that's, uh, you know, human... Um, tendency is that you want the, the simplest form and it's, you know, you can make jokes about it. It's funny, yeah, but it's not the reality of, you know, a lot of things and, and you, that those exceptions become, those anecdotes become um, evidence, I guess. So we're almost out of time. So before we go, what are your favorite aspects of Murphy Brown? A favorite episode, a favorite storyline, something that when you think of the show, you go, ah, I loved when they did that. I think a thing that my mom and I bonded over are are actually the secretaries that were throughout the series. <laughs> that that was just so hilarious, and and I love the cameos. I think that's what my mom and I really. And this is and my mom since passed away, so I really cherish those times where I was watching it with her because that was one of the shows that we could really watch together 
and we both got, we could talk about it afterwards. We talked a lot about stuff we watched, but particularly Murphy Brown just because of my mom would talk about the, the change of, you know, when she was in high school, they were given tests uh, to see what career they would be good at. And, oh, we did those. My yeah, high school was obviously women, very behind. <laughs> yeah, and, and the women in the 60s were given three options, nurse, secretary, and teacher. Those were my options. Banking, too. Could work banking, bank. yeah. Well, they were, they, women could only go, have those three options. And so you would just score what you had on those. So for me, for me to watch it with my mom and see Murphy saying, like, when she was negotiating between the the union and the um, and the the uh, executive at her house, you know, you had a, a thing where uh, she was actually using really good negotiation tactics that you're taught <laughs> when you're in mediation training. But then at some point, she was just like, you know, cut the crap. Let's, you know, you're going to eat this, and we're going to sit here, and I'm going to lock you in here. And I think that was really refreshing. I remember my mom and I watching that and just saying, like, yeah, that that's really, you know, that's really cool that she's able to do that, and they listen to her. And I think that is something that was really interesting seeing what we, it was a good platform for me talking with my mom about what she had, what she had been through growing up female in the, in the fifties and sixties uh, and compared to what I was experiencing. So, um, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to tell my millennial friend about this is that uh, it would be really interesting to see that viewpoint too, to see the yeah. three generations watching. But I think just for the humor aspect and just the the silly stuff, I think the secretaries, I, so I can't really name one particular episode, but it was, yeah. the, I think that was so brilliantly done because it, it had the potential for going over the top. And sometimes it did, but it was always in a, in a really great way. And that's where the writing comes into play. Yeah. So Jennifer, real quick, what is your favorite thing that you can think of? So I know we don't have much time, but I do want to point out like two. And one is basically just the, the singing, like when Murphy's like alone and she's just belting out Aretha Franklin, like those are my favorite moments just because it shows like a different side of her character and her relationship with Alden, because he's a completely different character than anyone else on that show. Like he's just the hippie kind of laid back kind of vibe. And it's just such a, a, you know, just a different type of personality. But for her to build that relationship with him, I thought was kind of amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But on the, the new series, I love um, Pat Patel's character. He's the the new, the social media yeah. guy on the show. Um, but her interaction with him when she was tweeting with Donald Trump, I absolutely loved that, <laughs> that moment. Um, and he's in the background, like, feed that troll, come on. Because he, you know, he, he realizes how important it is, but it's also just kind of one of those like empowering moments. Um, but I, I absolutely loved his character. Um, yeah, we didn't really talk about Eldon, uh, but I feel like he's pretty secure. He's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he, uh, he's got it going on. He doesn't have a lot of stresses. He knows what he wants. Right. right. Yeah. Right. It was a nice juxtaposition to the other characters that were kind of at some points running around like chickens with their heads cut off. <laughs> yeah. Use the voice of reason. So where can everyone find you on social media? You know, plug yourself. So, well, on Twitter, I'm Stephanie Sarkis. On Instagram, I'm, I'm Sarkis PhD. My website is stephaniesarkis.com. And, uh, and again, Jen did my website. So I'll let Jen <laughs> where she's at. Uh, my website, it's uh, nextrise.co. Um, that's my, my business website. Um, you can find my social media handles, um, for my business at it's at next rise co, uh, CO and, um, my personal Twitter, Instagram, I'm trying to think what else I've got under that, but it's Jay Novak. It's N O V A K J N O V A K F L. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. That's where I get my news. <laughs> great. It's so great to have you guys on. Well, thank you so much. much. It, took, it, it took, you know, a full year for us to get you on, but I'm so glad that we <laughs> did. Thank you so much for sharing your specialties with our audience. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you thank so much. You. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.